WGR. It is the American dream. Dusty Rhodes and Dusty, your fans welcome you back, man. Sports Radio 550. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Sports Talk Saturday. No respect, no honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work. They got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years. 30 years. They give him a watch, kick him in the butt, and say, hey, a computer took your place, Daddy. That's hard time. Want to talk to the guys on Sports Talk Saturday? Call or text us now. You put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard time. Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Dusty Rhodes. There we go. Happy Saturday, everyone. Zach Jones, Corey Griswold, hanging out with you today. No Josh Schmidt. We're just, we're just, we're chilling. We're hanging out. You know, we're having a good day. It's not as sunny, though, as normal. It, uh, it started pouring yesterday, like out of nowhere as I was leaving work. I went to go get dinner. You know, going to treat myself. It's a Friday. Going to hang out. I watched all of the Bear Season 2 last Ooh, night. Ooh, man, that, cram that. How many episodes we talked in for uh, that? Ten episodes. About an hour each? Actually, that's the fun part. It's only about a half hour for each of them. There was a one A classic hour. 22? Yeah. Wow, look yeah. at that. There was one episode that was an hour long. I don't know. Have you ever seen The Bear? A very special episode of The Bear? Yes. I have never seen it because I don't do well with anxiety. Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. So you will hate this show. Yeah, yeah no, don't thank watch you. this. Uh, so in the first season, there was an episode of essentially, I, I've never worked in a kitchen myself. My brother... Is a was a culinary student works at the culinary. Our student. man, the bulldog has and bulldog has. vouches for that television. Oh show. yes, my brother vouches for it and also tells me I don't like watching it because it reminds me of my day. That's pretty good. We love uh, inflicting trauma upon love people it. who have worked in the industry. I watched that episode with my brother after Bulldog's glowing review, so I, I decided to watch it last year. And Bulldog talked about this this very specific episode. I think it's about a half hour long, but it's kind of shot in like a one take, and it's. The day of a busy restaurant. Mm-hmm. Just, everything went to hell, and you got to figure it out. Bulldog talked about having just white knuckles by the end of it, just because he's reliving like those mm-hmm. crazy rush hours. I look over at my brother near the end, same thing. White knuckles, not saying anything, Ooh. and just staring at the TV. We turned off, and he goes, I don't think I like this show. <laughs> he's like, I like it. Not for me, it's Clive. Good. It's not for me, Clive. So I burned through all of season two yesterday. I watched a few episodes before I came in to do Show Up and Bulldog yesterday, which I didn't do the Extra Point show, so I got like an episode and a half in mm-hmm. before I had to come back. And then there was a hour-long Christmas special. <laughs> that was my white-knuckle moment. Okay. Of just like watching this very loud, dysfunctional Italian family just yelling at each other. Okay. Oh, yeah. That sounds like you for, would know. For an hour was very stressful. And I was like, this is exhausting. <laughs> this is actually exhausting. It's it's such good television. It's on Hulu. But man, I feel like I need a stiff drink after some of those episodes. Not all of them, but some of them. I'm like, I need to take a minute. You know, I've been I want to take my son to the AKG now that it is reopened. The yeah. the gunblock building is going to be closed until July, I think, because they're still doing some work on it as I as I figured that out. So we're going to wait a little bit to go because we want to see the whole thing. But the Albright Knox and the AKG is um, a place for contemporary and modern art, generally speaking. Like, it's always been kind of cutting edge in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the kind of art that is really supposed to inflict emotional uh, something on you. Yeah, that's you're supposed to get in the car later and be thinking about it. Yeah, you're challenged by yeah. it. So, like, I'm in that kind of mind space of thinking about, like, art that challenges you and places you in a place. And, like, that show, I, the only reaction I have heard from people is that it puts them into an emotional space. Oh, yeah. It's not, it is not diners, drive-ins, and dives. No, you, you don't watch it to kind of just have, like, a casual, like, I'm just going to watch yeah, it. Yeah, it's not background up. noise. That is no. not a show that can function as background noise. And I noise. will say, season one was fantastic. Loved it. Got excited when I saw the season two trailer. Season two is going to stick with me for a while. Ooh. It was very, very good television. This is like I'm I'm a TV junkie. I think some people know that's based on my Twitter. But Succession has stuck with me for quite a while. Mm-hmm. I think the Bear season two is gonna is gonna 
you kick right behind that. Some good television out there if you can find it. There is, there is. I, I, I'm a television junkie. I have a lot of the apps because you know. In a hostile environment for producing good art, I would like to point out. Yeah, it's yeah. not. It's not easy to get We're, good stuff made and for it to last. We're still in the middle of a writer strike, which is probably going to go past the 2007 writer strike. We're yep. likely going to go past that, which killed one of my favorite TV shows growing up, Heroes. Yep, pretty cool. Pretty cool show for a season. We love again. Save the world. Veering dangerously close to talking about capitalism on the t- on the t- on the show here. Dangerously close. Dangerously close. We got to we got to steer clear of that event horizon. But man, oh, good television. You know good what stuff. I, you know what I watched last night was mm. uh, Deep Sea Challenge. Was James Cameron's when he went to the bottom of Challenger Deep in the Marianas Trench. Yeah, James Cameron's been in the news uh, quite a bit. Why? What's going on? Anyway, so um, watching that show as a um, process of building something building an uh, old school expedition yep. building technology to accomplish a scientific task and seeing how it can work in extraordinarily challenging environments right it's the same thing as if you were watching a special on a nasa probe or something like that it's like how do we get this thing to work someplace where it absolutely should not work yep. right and seeing the kind of work it takes to produce something of that nature man just i, I am all about that kind of television not like the kind of stuff that ends up on the History Channel that to kill time. No, I want. Give me the goods. I want the juice. Give me the nuts and bolts of the thing. That sub that he took to the Mariana Trench. I think I watched an interview of him this week. That like they designed it in a computer for three years before they did even anything like of the physical labor. That's right. Like just and when you so much work went into when you watch the special. Like he they did eight dives before they did the actual one, and on each dive something's breaking, and that's the point. Right, yeah. it's like yeah, this yeah, this broke what and why the the what and why like mm-hmm. oh this thing doesn't work this system is malfunctioning we should repair this system is like a necessary step for doing anything of that nature anything complicated mm-hmm. why is this thing not working and how do we fix it as opposed to saying you're wrong I know better and this thing works and just believe me mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because I don't know if you know this the ocean don't play uh, nature itself doesn't the ocean. Very specifically does not. Physics, the ultimate ball, don't lie. Like, you just can't get around it, man. It just is. It is, by the definition, nature. Yeah. You just cannot avoid it. So you you better respect it. Otherwise, man, it is knocking you out. I love learning about systems and why they fail and how humans try to fix it. Like, mm-hmm. that, to me, that is what makes us us, is... We see a problem and we the try... Problem solving. Pro- the problem solving. There are few animals on Earth who can do it. And, like, octopuses can do it on a very small level. And we're just like, wow, look at this octopus. It remembered, how to go- it remembered how to go back. Oh, we better watch our backs. They're challenged. Like, no, there are, like... Somehow we broke contain. Yeah. Like, and figured out problem solving. And we're the only real species to figure that out. Enough so that we can figure out that our problem solving techniques suck and we're it's killing us, right? Mm-hmm. To be aware that, oh, industrialization is bad and it's warming the planet. We do, we do need to figure out now a new way to do things. Right, next level problem solving. Yeah. I love learning about those things. And, like, when you watch The Bear... In that it's episode, kind of the same thing. It's exactly the same, the thing. same and, thing. On a very small scale, it's humans being like... I, this sucks, and I. It's much more emotional. Like I, this sucks. I hate it, but I got to get through it. Mm-hmm. And f- watching them get through it, and like you sitting next to your brother and bulldog, just being like, "I've been in that spot, and I don't want to do this." It's why I can't watch Abbott Elementary. Oh, that great show! But I can understand that. I'm a, you, yeah. you as a teacher, that's yeah, your refu- day every day. Like everybody has told me, like you need to watch the season of The Wire about the public school system. I'm do that. that yeah, is, and that I'm like, gonna... you know what? I absolutely don't. Yeah, because I'm I live it. And that, I don't want to relive you. it in my off time. What I'm doing is recovering in my off time. Abbott Elementary, though, was a great show. I've, again, I've, I've heard show. nothing but great news about it, and I will never watch a minute. That's fair. I, I will say, though, after watching The Bear, I'm like, ooh, I made a really good career decision. Ne- not once working in any sort of food industry. <laughs> I would, I'm a very relaxed person. That would make me not so. People who say, like, who put working in a restaurant down as, like, they don't deserve the money or it's like, hey, do you want to end up working in a restaurant as if like that's a negative outcome is extraordinarily disrespectful to the amount of work and panic it takes to function in that environment. Oh, yeah. Like ain't, there are very few people who can survive there and it usually just takes years off your life. Yep. Preparing food for idiots. Like for yeah. people in the front who are like, ah, I don't know. Why, well, where's my the, food? That's the thing too. Season two kind of dives more into the, the – um the high dining experience, uh, you know, the fancy spending a ton of money on like small little courses that you're like, that yeah, I'm I'm gonna be hungry after I eat this. It kind of explores that a little bit more. 
I thought I was stressed watching the 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 runnings of an Italian or Chicago beef restaurant. Now I'm 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 different now after watching like the the high dining experience. Like I'm like I, we missed a spot here. Like we should go back. This should not be a thing. If I may, this is what's frustrating about the past couple of weeks with the Bills. Because yes. we don't we never see the problem solving. That is closed off to us specifically. We are rarely allowed to see, especially in football, how problems are solved, except that we only see the resolution on the field. And, and you hope it's good. We hope it's good. You, but, you go into September going, oh, I hope all the problems are fixed. That's right. But we are never allowed to see mm-hmm. what the problem-solving technique is, right? And that's why, like, Hard Knocks, when it first came out, was like, oh, wow, check this out. This could be really cool. It was revolutionary in, yeah, in the sense of that's right. you, you got to see inside... And immediate, a NFL team. But it's all propaganda because it go, all goes through the NFL. It's not like, like the bear is not propaganda for the restaurant industry. Like yeah, that's, no. That ain't why it's made, right? No. And it's why any given Sunday holds up and why people still watch it because mm-hmm. it's a football movie made without any regard to making football look cool. It, it, it was, is the, uh, the, the realistic process of it all. I mean, it's also Oliver Stone, so it's realistic as you can get with an Oliver Stone movie. But like, it's the point was to get you inside of a football team to see how it functions. Yeah. And it's over the top, but it is the only thing around that gets me to where, like, I want to see what makes it work. When All-22 came out, it would, oh yeah, scratch the itch a little bit, because now you can do it yourself. Mm-hmm. But, like, no, what I want to do is I want to sit down and I want to see how... I wanna, tell me how Josh Allen got better. I want to see, like, how... That's why I love, like, those little interviews that, that Josh would do with guys like Chris Sims, where he's just, like, walking around and talking. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden you just hear, he's like, oh, yeah, like, I had, like, this, like, you know, we, we were, like, measuring, like, my arm length and, like, where, like, the angle I was was I was throwing it and, you know, my footwork. I was looking at Aaron Rodgers, so I developed the bunny hop thing. And I'm like, what? Like, that's just, like, you just did that in off season. I like, wonder how like much... that stuff is so cool to me. I wonder how much better Sean McDermott's life would be if everybody could just see how he problem solves. I, I I have thought about that, especially these past two weeks. Right. Because when I learned about the Diggs situation, I was I was out of the state. I was on vacation, and so I was I was kind of piecemealing together through Twitter and, and texting with some buddies of like, all right, what what are you guys hearing? What's going on? All that stuff. And I I do wonder, for all pro sports, if you could see the problem solving, maybe not necessarily like camera crews, but just you know, flying the wall stuff. Right. How would it be? I think it would be both a, bit, a a negative and a positive. Two guys, especially like Sean McDermott, who the Bills, since he's gotten here, have been very much nothing gets out. It's all in-house. We don't have leaks. You know, every draft comes up that the Bills are going to draft a running back in the first round, and they <laughs> literally never do. Right. So, like, I mean, like, nothing gets out. They are very, very close-knit. And I, I just, I do wonder what it would have been like to, like, number one, see that meeting the initial meeting with Stephon Diggs, Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, I assume, is all three of those guys. Maybe Josh Allen's involved in that, too. The meeting that ultimately is going to get Stephon Diggs, he leaves for the day, and we ultimately get Bean saying, or McDermott saying, not great here. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not great. He's not here. We're concerned. I do wonder how we would have all taken that, seeing that meeting or seeing mm. you know, bits and pieces of that meeting. Yeah. And then maybe even the resolution. I would because be, now it's it's all it's up in the air of what the problems are. Is it actually fixed? It, it's all completely. We right. have every national media person under the sun giving their opinions, and spe- it's all speculation because no one knows. It, which is why you can't take it seriously. Like, exactly, I, I don't take any of the conversation seriously about Stefan Diggs. Ian and Rappaport, McDermott, basically, we don't know. yeah, Ian Rappaport on NFL Network basically said like everything I'm hearing is that all these rumors being thrown around are just flat out wrong. Yeah, I don't know, and I mean. I'm fascinated by recovering from failure. Mm-hmm. What is the point of failure and how do you fix it? How do you get better from this? And I mean, it's mostly my day job is helping people like you screwed this up, how we get better. Mm-hmm. Here's what's the process to improvement. Yep. That is literally my life. So I want like if I'm watching the bills and I see like I would like to point out pretty dramatic and critical points of failure over the past couple of years. Absolutely. Show me the process of them identifying the point of failure and attempting to adjust to it. Because to me, that's the juice. Yep. Like, sh- like we've all kind of felt like Sean McDermott feels like he's getting better. That's cool. I can only take what I see on the field for it. I don't see growth. Yeah. I see g- these little pings of decisions, but I don't see a process of growth. How can I trust a process I never see? Mm-hmm. I am not allowed deliberately to see the process and i will never trust something i can't see well and it's the problem is it's it's all faith 
you're, you're hoping it's being done. You hear reports that they're a very good coaching staff and the front office is good, but you never see it. Like The big thing with 13 seconds afterwards is basically the non-explanation that fans got. Somebody walked like, I mean, up the, to you on the street. That's a huge thing. If somebody walked up to you on the street and said, trust this, trust me, I will never talk to you. I will never yeah, talk never, to you. Never. And I will never show you the thing you're supposed to trust, but you got to trust me. Everybody would tell you you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. But and we do it in sports. In sports, you are. It is just given to you, and it's like, of course, you're a fan. You're supposed to trust me. You you're hope supposed for, to trust us. You hope for these little nuggets. In an, Honestly, you hope for stuff like McDermott kind of cracking a little bit. In, in front of the media. Something he really has never done, but he cracked a little bit after his meeting with Diggs and said he was very concerned. Yeah. And, and kind of showed his emotions a little bit. And it's necessary because they refuse to show us anything else. Exactly. So you're just hoping for those little nuggets here and there. And I think like, like you're a little bit more, I would say, a little bit more distrustworthy of it, I would say. Yeah. I'm less so on that. I think I'm more in the middle because I think there's a part of me that is almost worried of like if we did see everything – how stoked would we all be? And how much is it like I don't? And the problem is, is that I'm not looking for drama. No, no. Like I would, it, like if there's an argument between the coach and Stefan Diggs, I don't need to see that. Mm-hmm. Honestly, like I don't need to know what Diggs and McDermott were saying to each other. Yeah. Here, I'll be perfectly if, honest. I never want the Bills on hard knocks. Oh no. Especially after seasons like the Cleveland Browns, when right. they still have Hugh Jackson of like watching him and Todd Haley kind of have a fight, and like all of a sudden you're realizing like. Hugh Jackson really has no idea what's going on, and, and it's it's all this stuff, and I'm like, ooh. What I would love to see is the film study. I would love to see would too. the days of practice from the Bills of like, okay, here's where this broke, here's where. Mm-hmm. And I get it, it's a competitive sport. You don't want to show your the other team anything, which is why you make everybody do it. Yeah. Like, if everybody has to do it, then you're not hiding anything. Exactly. So you just make that standard policy. Like, everybody's going to see this. Sorry. It's yeah. a sport. You're entertainment. Effectively, the only time they're ever going to be private is probably on a plane yeah. flying to a different city. Yeah, we're going to show everybody yourself. Sorry. Yeah. But, like, that I would love to see because then I could figure it out myself. I can see if, like, okay, yes, I believe this is – I can. See, I would see so much more expertise of coaching that mm-hmm. I never see now. And we have so many people who are like, Ken Dorsey doesn't know what he's doing. This coach doesn't know what he's doing. This coach is an idiot. we got to fire him. How different would it be if you actually see them do the job? Well, and, and that's the thing, too. Like, we're hearing now this year that Dorsey has the personnel he needs to run 12 personnel. They kind of wanted to do it last year. They didn't have that secondary tight end. They didn't even really have a slot receiver with Isaiah McKenzie. Like, so, now, right. now, like, I mean, it, there's maybe a good chance that you're sitting in those meetings. Let's say this is happening in Ken Dorsey, and he's literally going, I can't run my offense. I don't have a consistent enough slot receiver. I don't have a secondary tight end. And Josh is hurt. And he's just kind of sitting there going, I'd love to run my offense. I can't. And so, yeah, exactly. And in that moment, you would see him problem solve. And you'd be like, here's okay, what we have so, left. Here's what we have to do. So we're yeah. going to do this instead and see if it works. And we're going to do the best we can. And in that moment, suddenly everybody's like, you know, if I was in the same spot, I'd probably be doing the same thing Dorsey yep, was. Absolutely. And then, and then as well, how we, looking at Dorsey, we've spent this entire offseason going, I hope he grows. I hope he gets better. Because he's got a short leash. Right. And he does. And he does. You're in a Super Bowl window and you can't have the second half of the season where they were scoring, but it looked impossible. Right. It looked like it had to be a miracle play out of Allen and Diggs every single time. So much of sports talk is deeply uninteresting because it is only speculation. It's all all speculation. With no evidence. And at the end of the day, if there's no evidence coming my way, I'm just going to lose interest because you're just talking crap. It's why you have guys like over on Fox Sports 1, Craig Carton, this week, kind of, was it this week? I think it was this week, giving his own what he heard about Stephon Diggs. But it answered none of the questions why Diggs was mad at the end of last season. Right. It was just, oh, I, well, I'm here and he's mad that they didn't go get DeAndre Hopkins. How would that have played into last season when he was mad during the Bengals game? Like, how would that have played into any of it? None of it makes sense. None of it makes sense. It's all speculation, but speculation without context if you go to the national media. Ugh, it's terrible. I mean, and I was going to say, like, just looking at the Bills, because I think this week I've kind of become a bit of a Sean McDermott apologist. Like, I don't love using that word, but I'm kind of sitting here going, who else would you hire? Like, who else is available? And if the answer is Sean Payton, it's the same... It, if you're mad at McDermott, you're going to be mad at Peyton for the same reasons. Just he's an offensive guy, not a defensive guy. Yeah, it'd be the same issues. And he's nine and eight in the playoffs. He's won more than won one playoff game in a single season once. The year he won the Super Bowl. Outside of that, it's always one and done, one and done, or not making it. Right. Like it's it, if you're mad at McDermott for that, you'd be furious at Sean Payton it, for that. It would be pretty radical. 
mm-hmm. for the Bills to deliberately say at this moment, we're, we're moving away from our leadership team, we're going someplace else. Because if you don't, if you have extension talks in progress and you walk away from those extension talks, you, mm-hmm. you are entering, you should fire them immediately territory. Yeah. And that's not happening. So, and... Even so, like extensions don't mean anything. It just means you pay them more when you fire them. Well, like, ultimately, there's, there's no salary cap when it comes to coaches and GMs. That's right. If, if, if Terry Pagula decides at one point, hey, I'm moving on, and it's in that four years, rips up the contract, pays him out. Yeah. There's, there's a buyout clause in all those contracts, every single one. That's right. And it's not to me, it's nonsense. It doesn't matter. Like, yeah. They're extended, sure, great, and if they're not extended, that would be a bigger deal because that would be an immediate ending. Yes. They can always fire them later. Absolutely. I mean, like we, every coach I feel like gets fired is before their contract is up. Of course. So, yeah, it's standard operating procedure. It's not a big deal. But so I've kind of become a bit of a McDermott apologist. And, and in part, it's because I'm listening to some people in the national media. I, I brought up, you know, Craig Carton now, but like Colin Coward as well, also sure. on Fox Sports. I, I, I heard that clip too. Calling yeah. McDermott maybe the fourth best coach in the AFC East. And I'm, and, and I'm just sitting here like be, bewildered going, mm. in what world mm. are you talking about? Robert Sala hasn't made the playoffs yet. Bill Belichick, since he lost Brady, is garbage. And Mike McDaniel, okay, fine. He's he's good. He's young. Still need to see him win a playoff game. McDermott uh, with with Allen has not won a playoff game in a season one time. It is difficult to win in the playoffs. Yeah, it is very very difficult, and they keep doing it. It is. We have yet to get to a point where the Bills get to a wild card game and lose. The Bills were not totally a stable organization prior to Allen. Even with McDermott here, yeah, that year of McDermott making the playoffs as the wild card was tumultuous, to say the least. I mean, with Nathan Peterman and Tyrod well, Taylor. Yeah, I was going to say, Peterman, and Tyrod, the fact really the matter is, is they weren't really that talented. So Vontae Davis pulling the pin at halftime. Like, there, it was not, it didn't look anything like this with McDermott here. No. So the reputation McDermott has now is post-Allen. And it's easy to say, like... You can make that connection of just like what's you know what came first, chicken or the egg. You're like, is it Allen's impact on the Bills helping to improve McDermott? Is it McDermott on now? It might be both. Um, I don't know if Allen succeeds independently of McDermott. Oh, I don't think he does. I don't think I've heard anybody, and the Bills don't look like they're questioning McDermott's authority at all. Really, like no, like I, I, Diggs and, that's, is, and that's my thing too. This is very much, I think, a segment of the fans thing, right? It's like, a, the the Bills gave them a two-year two extension to already the two years left on their deal. So it's now four more years. They're going to go through 2027. You could make an argument this is a PR thing from the Bills going, guys, we're not moving on from the Mitchell We've stop. seen players challenge McDermott, too. Like, clearly Diggs. But also Allen. Allen has gone on the sidelines been like, we, we should do yeah. the X. And, and, and that's my thing, too. I, I, can't, I can't listen to any more people saying McDermott's conservative. He has, moment, he has had moments where he turtles. Yes. But for the most part, that's not they go for touchdowns and they go for four if, downs. If you want to accuse him of whatever word you want to use in that moment of, implode, of imploding, of choking, mm-hmm. of, of, you know, cowardice is too strong a word, but something of that nature of just like freezing in the moment when he needs to make a correct decision. Mm-hmm. I think that is a valid criticism. That is absolutely valid criticism. Yes. But over the long term, you... No, conservatism doesn't work. Their offense has been extraordinarily aggressive. They barely punted last year. To me, that's conservatism. It's like if you are on the other side of the 50 and you're giving your opponent the ball, that's a conservative coach. He's not Todd Bowles. We're, we're effectively at this point of like it's a fourth and five in. They're probably going for it. Yeah. And like he has been, to me, adaptable and flexible in understanding the mm-hmm. personnel he has. More so on offense than defense, I think. Yes. Like yeah, that's that's my thing too. I would actually like to talk about his defense of like, dude, you got to be maybe a little more aggressive there. Yeah, force bad plays instead of just kind of hoping they don't get chunk yardage. Exactly, because I, that's become kind of a negative thing here with the defense, especially under Fraser the last two years. And you can say like, well, he kind of really didn't get along with Dable. You can say they were working together for four years. Like, and also, he, let's, I mean, and also, if I'm Dable, I was kind of pissed. I came back the year afterwards, not getting a head coaching job. Right. And he still came back. They didn't kick him out. Like that's no, not, no. They kept he, bringing him back. If you fight with an OC, they're gone. He had an OC he didn't like. Dennison got rid of him. Yeah, I just I, I'm having a tough time now. I think this, these past maybe two weeks of just of looking at all of this and and coming to the coming to the conclusion that they need to move off of him, especially when and, and I see this a lot on Twitter. So it's it's not. I get it. It's not the majority of the fan base. So I, I do say this with a bit of a grain of salt. But like. The idea of like, well, when as a fan base are we going to like demand a championship? You kind of always do, but the problem is ultimately only one team wins every year, and it takes quite a bit of luck. Yeah, 
I mean, it takes quite a bit. If you would like to say that the Chiefs are lucky, you can. You can. Because in the ways they have won have been extraordinary. The the year they won their first Super Bowl, they had to come back from double-digit comebacks every single playoff game. (sighs) Yeah. And then even in 2020, when the Bills go to the AFC Championship game, Cleveland can't beat a backup quarterback. Because you can be great and lucky. You can be both. Oh, yeah. Absolutely Because honestly, when you're great, you sort of make your own luck. I I absolutely agree with that mindset. But the fact of the matter is, is the AFC West, how many off-seasons have we gone through it where that division should be a just grudge match? Just beating the hell out of each other, and the winner wins 11 games. Yep. And how often are we completely dashed in those expectations? It's going to happen again. It's probably going to happen again. Oh, yeah. And yet you look over at the AFC East, which, to me at least, in my opinion, the era of the Patriots, the AFC East was the worst division in football's history. You had the Patriots, and everyone else was garbage. Yeah, I mean, garbage. So they, for the most part, outside of a few years, got five to six easy wins. Mm -hmm. And at a time as well... When the one and two seed both got buys. Yeah, it's hard to win a championship. The Bills get a loaded AFC, a much better AFC East. Oh, and we took away the number two seed bye week. And it, uh, it is that hard. That has made it now way harder. Yeah, it's hard. You still got to do it. Oh, you it, still have to do it. That's absolutely. the metric. But that's my thing is like, eventually, I think it's just going to happen. They are talented. Allen is a freak of nature and a top two quarterback in football. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. And last week, or this week actually, I've added another quarterback to the to the. Truly, they were considered one or two for their, or, you know, not the, for their career, but for a time, considered one or two to not win a Super Bowl. I've always done Dan Marino. I've always done Fran Tarkington. I'll add Dan Fouts to that list. Okay. I'll add Dan Fouts to that list, especially the Air Coriel offense. He, beca- he became kind of the guy to throw for like 4,000 yards, 30 touchdown passes. Sure. I'll add him. Those teams, though, were not very good. Boomer Esiason? No, no. Boomer, Boomer, I think, was just a solid quarterback. Okay. I actually think Ken Anderson was a better Cincinnati Bengals quarterback in the 80s. But, like, as things, I'm not adding Kelly there. Warren Moon? Warren Moon gets a pretty good argument there, but I think during Dude, the man, 80s. Man, the Oilers were good. They were good, but I think during the 80s and 90s, I'd still probably put, like, Joe Montana, Steve Young, Dan Marino, oh, John Elway over him. Yeah, of course. And that's but where it's like, like okay, the, the better quarterbacks did win, of course, outside of Marino. But, I mean, he, but even Elway, though, Elway makes it to three Super Bowls early in yeah, his career. Yeah, doesn't get anywhere. And all of them are blo- – it's not even like that they're close. Blo- like, like, all right, got away in the fourth quarter. No, the, the Broncos were annihilated. <laughs> they were destroyed. Yeah. And even then, like, like I just, it, it's, it's tough to get to a Super Bowl. And I think another big piece that was brought up, Eric Eager of Sumer Sports was on with Shope yesterday, and he brought up the idea of like not always the best team of your of your team that you follow wins the Super Bowl. The 2015 Broncos had to carry basically a dead Peyton Manning to yeah. a Super Bowl win. Basically, yeah. The Carolina Panthers, you would have assumed, were the better team. Didn't matter. The 2015 Broncos were the one that won it, not the 2013 Broncos. Right. Where Manning was still absolutely effective and functional. Maybe, maybe the greatest passing season of all time. 55 touchdowns, 5,400 yards passing. Uh-huh. He had a passer rating of over like 105 or something like that. Yes. I mean, that's maybe the greatest offensive season ever. Yeah. They are blown out in the Super Bowl. They mm-hmm. make it, yes, so I, I get there's an argument there, but they didn't win it. And then you even look at the Chiefs. They were better in 2020. They were better in 2018 when Mahomes first gets there and throws 50 touchdown passes. Mm-hmm. They don't win. They win in 2019. When they dealt with a ton of injuries early in the year, some would say the Bills were better, and they they get through. They finally win their Super Bowl, and then with 2020, they're probably the better team over Tampa Bay, but they have all the injuries in the world. Right. But then they win in 21. The Giants, who beat the Bills oh, they in 91, in yeah. but like, they did not sustain after that. Like, I wouldn't even say it's the best '90s Giants team either. No, under Bill Purcells. It's not. Yeah, it's not the best Giants team. I think anybody would say of no. any of their Giants teams. Their from starting the 80s quarterback or 90s. wasn't even Phil Simms. It was Jeff Hosteller. That's right. So it could be a season here where the Bills are like deeply struggling, and everybody's like, "Oh no, I don't know." And then they just this is the one that gets through. Or next year, if they have to make changes next year, if people have to come and go, and everybody's like, "It's kind of a transition year." I don't know. And the Bills are like ten and this, seven. This year for the Chiefs was considered a transition year. Yeah. That they, they moved off from Hill. They were trying to kind of figure out the wide receiver room, but it just it didn't matter. It worked for them. Yep. It, everything ended up working. The Bills were out in the divisional round by the by the Bengals, and they matched up better against the Bengals. Patrick Mahomes makes that pretty easy for you. He does, and Allen, Allen makes up for a lot for the Bills as well. Mm-hmm. But I'd also say for the Chiefs, for most of Mahomes' career, have had a great offensive line. They've had unbelievable playmakers. I mean, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are both going to be first ballot Hall of Famers. 
Tyreek Hill may not be first ballot just because off the field stuff, but they'll both probably should be de- deserving of first ballot Hall of Famers. The Bills, how many can you say are going to be Hall of Famers on this current roster? Von Miller. Von Miller, absolutely, but he wasn't here for much of the, the, the team's building of success. Allen. Allen probably is on the trajectory. Um, I do want to get to this call that we have. This is kind of why I brought this point up. I wonder if I wonder if more. I wonder about Morse. Mitch Morris? I do. I think a few more years. Yeah, if he can get you a few can more maybe, years. You can maybe get something there. Because he was been very good at the Chiefs when he was there, and he was on a good team there. And he's become one of the better centers in the NFL. I mean, yeah. when he when he signed with the Bills, he was the highest-paid center in football. That's right. Absolutely. Let's go to the phones. We've got Kyle hanging on the line. Kyle, welcome to the show, my friend. How are we doing today? Hey, I'm well. How are you guys? Doing very well. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, so I was just uh, – I've been thinking about um, the Hall of Fame and Stephon Diggs. You know, mm-hmm. we – we talk about Von Miller. We always attach his name to, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer. And I'm wondering if you guys think Stephon Diggs is there. And if you think about the wide receiver landscape that's going to be due around the time that he will be due, you've got names like Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill you just mentioned, mm-hmm. DeAndre Hopkins, Keenan Allen, Mike Evans, Amari Cooper, Cooper Cup. You know, I, I made that list because those are guys that are, you know, they're all around the same age. They've been in the current era. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that list. Right. So with that list in mind, does Diggs make it as a first ballot Hall of Famer? I will hang up and listen. Thank you, guys. Kyle, thanks for the call, man. It is a fascinating topic with Diggs. I have brought up Diggs' Hall of Fame, I don't want to say resume, but I've kind of brought this up a little bit. We'll hit that when we come back from this quick timeout. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Oh, yeah, baby. We're going Fleetwood Mac early today. There we go. A little pick-me-up. It's a huge pick-me-up. I love it. So we took this caller in the last segment. Is Stefan Diggs a Hall of Famer? First ballot Hall of Famer, especially. And I've thought about this for quite a while. Really since the Bills dra- uh, traded for him and he had his, his first season with Buffalo. Breaking all the season records. I mean, he was incredible that first year. 127 catches. Over 1,500 yards. Eight touchdowns. I mean, exceptional receiver. Incredible year. And he's kind of continued that pace since. 103 catches in 2021, over 1,200 yards, 10 touchdowns. And last year, 108 catches, over 1,400 yards, and 11 touchdowns. This also goes along with he had two straight 1,000-yard seasons in his last years in Minnesota. In 2018, he had over 100 catches, 1,200 yards, or excuse me, just over 1,000 yards, nine touchdowns. And then in 2019... He had just 63 catches, but 1,100 yards and six touchdowns. That is ultimately the year, though, where he decided, like, Minnesota is using me in just the worst way. And by the way, if you're reading those stats, like, how do you not add, like, another 30 catches onto that season? He's been the best wide receiver in the league, or at least 1A, Mm -hmm. for the past three seasons? For quite a while, yeah. Especially at receiver, to be considered, even I would say in the top five or three to five for that period of time, I don't know. Incredible. I don't know how you calculate getting into the Hall of Fame as a wide receiver anymore. Honestly, I, I just don't, don't either. Know Be- how. Because it is a pass-heavy league, I do think you have to look at the fact that with Diggs, especially number one, the context of his Minnesota career, I think, has been very much made up by his post-Minnesota career of being in Buffalo. You look at twenty twenty nineteen to me, especially he only had ninety four targets in every season with Buffalo. He's had over one hundred and fifty. And yet, in that season, he has 63 catches, and he's over 1,100 yards. You really do need people to believe you're great. Yes. And especially yep. at that position more than anything. Like, yep. That people don't – it's impossible to do the arguing about statistics at that position because statistics are is like gaudy for everyone. Because ultimately and, – and I will say this just as a spoiler. I do think Diggs is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, but I, part I of it is because the fact of the matter is, is when I'm going to talk about Diggs, I'm going to talk about his last two years in Minnesota going, Minnesota used him horribly Man, wrong. I think I can see Diggs being great beyond. Like, even yeah. when people start, because like, even now people are like, he's aging out. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this, this is a great sport. I love thinking about these things when people are like 30. Anyway, You're 30 and they're ancient. That's right. Cool. Mm-hmm. And it, his route running is maybe the best in the league. And those I would still put him at best in the league. That's yes. the kind of skill that makes you great when you are old. That's why DeAndre Hopkins has been able to last as long as he has. He's older, he's older than Diggs by a few years. And Larry Fitzgerald, who's mm-hmm. definitely a Hall of Famer. 
was that, you know, I'm not going to just be this I'm not an physical ad- freak. That's right. I'm not eight foot tall, which is why I get the ball. I get the ball because you can't stay with me. Yeah. And, like, that's a skill that I don't see Diggs losing anytime soon. Diggs doesn't drop the ball. This past season, his catch rate, or basically all of these seasons, he's yet to go below 60% in terms of catch catch percentage. He's an astronomically good f- receiver in everything it takes to be a wide receiver, especially last season when he mm-hmm. was not only Stephon Diggs, but also Cole Beasley. Like he did ev- he also became the touchdown guy, too, which is something that he wasn't always in his career. The last two seasons especially, he has become the touchdown guy. He can be any receiver you want him to be at any moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a key measure of getting into the Hall of Fame. Can you do it all? And Stephon Diggs unquestionably can do it all. Yep. He's got three Pro Bowls, two All-Pros. But I think that's the thing is you, it because of how he has been as a wide receiver, he's probably getting another Pro Bowl yep, this year. For sure. Probably going to compete for an All-Pro. Mm-hmm. And if he puts up a year similar to this year, over 100 catches, 13, 1,400 yards, and double-digit touchdowns, he's probably an All-Pro receiver. He's also the key to the Bills being great. Yeah, it's him and Allen. Yeah, I mean, like that's and that's my point as well with the Chiefs is like you look at how many potential Hall of Famers they had, or even during their peak when they had guys like Tyron Matthew and Chris Jones and Frank Clark on that defense. Like they were good. Yes, and even on their offensive line of having a lot of really good offensive line pieces to go along with the Mahomes Hill Kelsey combination. The Bills have like two guys that like before Von Miller that you could consider, like, without a doubt, were, like, some of the best at the position. Mm-hmm. Because cornerback, because I, I would bring up Tredavious White and say that, but cornerback is a very fickle position now. One year, you are exceptional. Shut down, lock down, whatever you want to say. The next year, you're targeted to hell, and your numbers dip. Yeah. You have moments where you're still great and nothing changes. They change how you can actually do your job yeah. based on how they call the game. Being, you can being be, cornerback, I think, is quietly the hardest job in football. Exactly. You can be you can be more physical, you yep. can grab longer, you can you know, can you can do things and then suddenly the next year you can't. Yeah. And it changes how you play your position. It's insanely tough to be a cornerback in I, the NFL. That's the one position I like I never would want to be just because like your job's kind of get beat and make like a play or two a game, maybe. Right. And like, I don't see how you don't stop Stefan Diggs. The only way you stop Stefan Diggs is if the ball one does not go to him and goes to somebody else. Yeah. Look at Jalen Ramsey, week one last year. One of the lockdown cornerbacks. Made him talk to God. Torched. <laughs> right. Torched. But back in 2020, Diggs had one catch or two catches and one was a touchdown, sure. But Jalen Ramsey shut him down. Yep. But so I mean, like, that's it's such a fickle position. And so, and then you add in the fact that Tredavious White did have a torn ACL. He w- was not the same Trey all year last year. Yeah. I would have said he was on the trajectory, but now I'm not sure. How does that affect your perception of Elam? Kyrie Elam? I am so up and down about Elam. I Number one, and, and anyone that listens to me talk about the draft will know I feel this way, I am not about taking a cornerback late in round one. I am really not. I think the value does not make sense. I very much equate cornerbacks to running backs on the offense in terms of the draft. Ooh. I can take a corner. The only difference is I am more comfortable taking a cornerback in the top ten but when you get into the 20s, it makes to me no sense. Because you look at what happened last year. Christian Benford was outplaying him for much of the year. Yeah. And he was a late-round pick. Not, not a third or a fourth. He was 6-7 kind of deal. Okay, so you're talking to me about where the Bills selected him, not that they selected him at all. No, Kyrie Elam as a player I think is fine. Okay. And they, they needed cornerback help. I'm not going to fight that. And to be fair, they would have had to answer questions constantly about that if they only took Benford and like maybe another guy in like the fifth round. Mm-hmm. I get that. But to me, at least... That's going to be the issue you have with Elam until he shows that he's literally a lockdown corner. Is that I can get the same play? There is no two ways about it. Like you are either a lockdown corner or you're Dane Jackson. Y- yeah, where like you have moments. Yeah, you're just, both. Where just, like I, there are moments where I love you and I call you my son, and, and moments then you, where I want you gone. And then you go play for the Steelers and nobody notices. Yeah, like it's it's just a like you said, it's a real hard position. It's a real tough one. It's a tough one, and that. But ultimately, I mean, they, that's how I look at the Bills and like like 2020 has been brought up pretty often about how the Bills got blown out in that game and that you know our. Uh, McDermott kind of kind of turtled a little bit. They went more for field goals. Look, I'm going to be flat out honest. Going into that game, didn't think the Bills would win. And even when the Bills took the lead, I was like, they're not the better team. They are not the better team. <laughs> they weren't. They were. And then we find out Cole Beasley and Stephon Diggs are both dealing with pretty serious injuries. Yeah. I'm like, they were not the better team there. They lost to the better team. 2021, you can make an argument the Bills were better. 2022. 
if it weren't for everything they went through, I am calling the Bills the better team. The twenty two and two was a weirdo. But they were also they were also, I think, gonna get beat by the Bengals on Monday night. Oh, I think they were too. That team was basically out of gas before Hamlin happened and then they were done. Yeah. I I don't think any of them will ever admit it. They did say that they were mentally gassed, but that team was near done because they already. went through a lot already. And like, it doesn't get brought up, but like, they do a, they do an enormous amount of community service, like every NFL team does mm-hmm. in their market. But they are very close with the Buffalo community, obviously. And we view like what happened during the season as being a huge part of it. Like, there was an, a horrifyingly city altering tragedy that took place in May. Yeah. That you know, like. Guys like Deion Dawkins and the Bills were deeply involved in addressing and being a part of. Mm-hmm. And, like, that affects you emotionally, psychologically. Like, I, li- I live in the city now, and I, I drive right past that place mm-hmm. all the time, and I think about it every Every single time, time. you do. Every, every time, time, time I think do. about it. Yep. So, like, to be that... And that was the start of it. That yeah, wasn't even the season yet. That was and, the start of and it. And everything in the season happened after. And I feel bad, because I, I do constantly bring this up, but, like, following that... Luke Knox, Dawson Knox's brother, passes away. And then you start the season, and, and you know, that was, I guess, able to kind of, like, all right, Knox is going to play. We'll, you know, we'll see what happens here. Week one is a an amazing game. Unbelievable. The team is on fire. They torch the Rams. Kind of was vindication for a lot of us who thought that if the Bills did win the 13 seconds game, that they would have gone on and beaten the Bengals and eventually the Rams. I think that gave a lot of people vindication that they would have because they absolutely just destroyed the Rams. Absolutely destroyed them. But then week two happens, and Micah Hyde, gone for the season. And then as the season goes on, you're like, okay, they're looking good. They win a close game against Baltimore. You know, you can kind of chalk up the Miami loss to, you know, effectively heat stroke. I mean, that that stadium is built to just put teams down, which is ridiculous. But then as the season goes on, it's just these generational snowstorms, especially on Christmas, of just getting them to, you know, Chicago to do that game. And and even before that, to move games to Detroit. And it's just, like, it was a mess. And then Allen gets hurt with his UCL injury. And then finally, of course, DeMar Hamlin on the field. It just, it it was just, it was, the moment anyone got a second to breathe, something else happened. Like, when Hamlin was taking place beyond the unique human tragedy of an individual and to the people who, who knew him like mm-hmm. immediately his teammates, everything like that, there were still plenty of people who were like, man, Buffalo could really stand to catch a break right now. Yeah, like, oh, that's the thing. Going into that game, there was even the talks of... Nationwide. Like how, was like, Bulldog, Bulldog has talked about it quite often of the fact of like going into that game, he did not have a good feeling because he's just like, I just don't know how much this team's got left. Let's say the Hamlin situation doesn't go down. I agree with you. I think they lose that Bengals game. May have been better for them, though. Of just, all right, I, we're probably not getting the one seed. Let's just finish out the year, and let's get to the playoffs. Have they been able to breathe? Like, an honest question, like, have they... Like, I don't think that season could end it fast where's the re- Okay, so where is the recovery? I think it's it's really it's been these last few months of just, like... Has it? Because it seems like everybody's still really tense. Uh, well, I, I think everyone's tense because I don't think... I, I, I Honestly, I think when the season ended, like, Alan brought it up when he was talking about the dig situation of, like, we need to communicate better. I think it's because when that season ended... Everyone just shut down and was kind of like, everyone just just go away, get yourself right, get yourself healthy, the whole thing, not realizing that there were issues though last year. Has there Diggs were. been able to recover? I mean, that, I guess that's a question. I do that, wonder. I wonder. Like, hey, like, is, is anybody pulling Diggs aside and saying like, hey, yeah. are you okay? And not like because you're fighting with the coach. I mean, like, because we went through hell yet last year. Yeah, and, are and, you and you were one of healing? the main leaders right. on this team. I mean, I will never forget that Cincinnati game, just not just the Hamlin stuff, but because of everything that was going on and kind of the, I don't want to say lack of communication, but the lack of understanding of what would happen next of Diggs trying to get everyone riled up and, and like, we, we might have to go out and play. Yeah, this is from the hip, but like, I don't think the Bills survive without Diggs being right. And yeah. I don't mean because he's angry or ornery. I mean, has he emotionally yeah. recovered? And you can ask that about everybody. From the, from the weight he bore onto mm-hmm. himself last year. Because if they have not recovered from yeah. that, they're not going anywhere. I think what is, and, and I'm, I'm, I have no idea. This, this is, it, it's completely subjective to all of these guys and who they are. I think with Hamlin being okay and actually like being with the team, he's practicing. He's and hopefully he's going to play this year. I think that does make it easier. I, I don't, I don't know for a hundred percent fact. I do think that makes it easier. I would hope. Yeah, I would. I would hope. I have no. I again, I've never personally experienced this. 
I would hope, though, that it makes it easier for them to be like, is DeMar going to be on the field with us like week one? Yeah, probably. He'll definitely be out there. Was he a special teamer? Was he out on special teams? I think, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, of course, he played a lot of safety last year just because of you know, uh, right. Poyer and Hyde but both like, being he, hurt. He might be but, out there for the opening kickoff, man. Yeah, so, I mean, like, there's a very good shot that Hamlin's just going to be out there. And I think for those guys especially, just, all right, we got through it. We got through the worst part. Like, we're good now. Like, to me, again, I, and I'll, I'll probably say this now until the season starts, is I don't think last season could end it fast enough. Here's another seven. It's an, There's an extra game every year, man. It's like it's that much harder mm-hmm. emotionally, physically, mentally. Yep. yep. But, I mean, I like how this team is set up, though, this year. I really, really do. I really, really do. And I, we, think, I think they fixed most of their issues. The only, I think the really the only issues are Dorsey and play calling. You want, you want to see if he's taking that second step. That's always going to be a question mark until you see it. Middle linebacker, you weren't you weren't able to bring back Edmonds. He got his bag. Good for him from Chicago. Good stuff. And for me, right tackle. Well, Spencer Brown spent a lot of last year hurt. He basically missed all of training camp because injuries. So I don't know if, if that was a sophomore slump from him or just the fact that he was never right. But Spencer Brown at right tackle was rough. And but like, ultimately, they got better everywhere else on the offensive coming line. Coming right out, like coming out of the COVID year, dealing with huge expectations. Like since the Allen Diggs McDermott unit. Mm-hmm has been successful, everybody has kind of said, like, it's incredible how well this team operates culturally yeah. and emotionally. And, like, they have been absolutely pushed through. I think people also forget, though, limit. that 2021 we remember because of 13 seconds. We don't remember the fact that there was an overtime game in Tampa where they lose and they're one game above 500. Yeah. That team, there was a point that season where it looked not good. Oh, yeah, for sure. You had the win game with, with New England and all this stuff of, like, it. Are the, are the Patriots just going to take the division back? They like, had to go on an absolute terror. And they did. Yes. And, of course, you you enter the playoffs with the perfect game, and you annihilate them, and it felt like all the demons were exercised. And then, of course, 13 seconds is maybe the greatest playoff game of all time, at least for me, the, the greatest playoff game I've ever watched. But like we do forget that like they've gone through turmoil before, and they've come out better. They still won 13 games last year with, all, with everything I've just said. It's not like they won 10 games. They won 13 of the them. The approach and intensity and focus it requires to have that level of success that they have. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the individual seasons and going like, it's kind of a lot. Yeah. And then you stack it up year after year of being like, oh, it's kind of a lot. Like, at some point you just break. But that's where you also wonder, like, for the team like Kansas City, who is routinely playing late into the playoffs, they just get one year where they're like, ah, our bodies are hurt, we're breaking down. A lot of their key people are, are over 30, especially like guys like Travis Kelsey. And it just gets to a point where they're like, like here, for example, just going to hockey, Tampa Bay made a lot of late playoffs, playoff runs, and now this year they're out in round one. Yeah. Because their bodies just couldn't hold up. And that, that does happen too. Patriots had to go through a number of teams, different formulas with their with their wins. They went through a 10-year window without winning a Super Bowl, which nowadays you think about is wild, but they did. Yeah. There was a 10-year window where they did not win a Super Bowl. That is almost likely to happen to the Chiefs. There's not a high likelihood that they win three or four Super Bowls. Well, look at the AFC though. I know that's that's the thing is like it, they're one big retirement away from all of a sudden it's like hey we're still really good prove it but we're not that great anymore or we're not that team anymore it'll be interesting we're gonna take a quick time out we're still looking for your calls eight zero three zero five fifty you're listening to Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. being impossibly late to the final segment of an hour. So, that's good. That's good. I've, I've taken over the show for enough weeks that it's finally happened. I fought against it, I guess. Yep. But not Sports hard Sports Talk enough. Saturday lives. Sports Talk Saturday lives. Let's go to the phones real quick. We've got Mike in Jamestown on the line. Mike, welcome to the show, my friend. How are we doing today? Good, gentlemen. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for calling in. Uh, so what I was wondering is if you thought the extensions for McDermott being were a little bit premature... And that if we go, you know, uh, you know, eleven and six or, or ten and seven, and we go to the playoffs again and lose, are we in danger of becoming like the the Tony Dungy Buccaneers or or the Marvin Lewis Bengals? Uh, Mike, thanks for the call. I, you know, on, on Tony Dungy, there's something there because Tony Dungy's Buccaneers were, I mean, an, an unbelievable defensive team, but they had nobody on offense. Like that team was getting by by holding teams to ten points, and, and it did get to a point they were losing to the Eagles during Andy Reid's run there, and eventually they obviously do the switch. 
with an offensive guy, and they're able to get their bad offense to score just enough points. But I also would like to point out in that Super Bowl was maybe like the most like I don't want to say easiest Super Bowl to win, but like the Raiders didn't change anything from Gruden leaving to go to the Buccaneers, and he knew like all of their plays. Like the Buccaneers were going to win that Super Bowl, no doubt. On that point, I I, I can I don't want to necessarily say that. I just it, it's you just constantly are trying to build a team good enough to make the playoffs and hope you get a shot. On Marvin Lewis, I I can't get there. Lewis had a number of losing seasons early on in his career, and as well. Seven playoff losses in seven playoff appearances. He never won a playoff game in Cincinnati. Like, that one is one where they should have moved off of him way earlier. I'd even say 2017 they should have fired him, but he his last three years they were all losing records. I, I think for me at least, when, when I look at McDermott, like, it's it's for me it's going to have to take something drastic to really want to move on. Maybe another situation like a 13 seconds again would probably have to do it, but if they win another playoff game, and I... And I guess this is my thing too. If they win eleven games, that's fine. That was the year they went that that thirteen seconds was. They were eleven and six. So if they win eleven games, but they make it to the AFC Championship game, are we tempering our, our expectations again to have like another AFC Championship game appearance? I guess maybe. It's just for me at least. It, it's gonna it's gonna take something drastic. And and as well, I've spent a lot of this week like looking at coaches who've just their playoff records and stuff like that, and, and what led them to be fired. But like. Andy Reid has constantly been an example of a coach the Eagles maybe shouldn't have moved off of, or maybe we should compare McDermott to Ed to, to Reid, and I just, I've moved off of it just because Reid in his final two years in Philadelphia were losing seasons. His final season in Philadelphia was 4-12, and and he hadn't won a playoff game in four years. I'd even say like the year after their Super Bowl appearance, they don't make the playoffs. They go 6-10. and Sean Payton was a name that was brought up heavily in the offseason of we need to go get him and he's nine and eight in the playoffs and his late season or his later year New Orleans Saints teams were I mean I- iconic for not hitting expectations for falling flat in the playoffs I mentioned to start the show he has only won more than one playoff game once in his NFL career the year they won the Super Bowl in 09 and really I you know thinking back on that season I'd almost say that's the only season I can really think of in my mind that, like, without a doubt, the two most talented teams on both conferences went to the Super Bowl. And along with that, in terms of my luck comment, Brett Favre and his interception in the NFC Championship game. We've all heard the famous call from uh, the Vikings um, play-by-play guy. I'm blanking on his name now, but just, you know, you don't need to throw the ball there. This isn't the Detroit Lions. I mean, like, that's a... They were maybe going to lose that game, but Brett Favre does what Brett Favre had been known to do. But in that season especially, he was much better. That's kind of the playoff luck. But up to that point, Sean Payton, again, 9-8 and eight in his playoffs. And really, he got a lot of leg, leg room from going 3-0 and oh in that season. I just, to me at least, it's going to take a lot of things drastic. Marvin Lewis, though, I think we all do forget, like, number one, the Bengals just, he had really good players. And he had at one point Andy Dalton playing near an MVP level, but just, I mean, you want to talk about playoff failures. Marvin Lewis is that. I am not there yet on McDermott. He has had playoff moments of failing, but they keep winning games. It's just not, they have they have not gotten over the hump just yet. Going to take a quick timeout here. Hour number two will roll along. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR.